Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. Visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com for more. Okay, so this week we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Here is your synopsis. Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill must rally his team to defend the universe and protect one of their own. If the mission is not completely successful, it could possibly lead to the end of the Guardians as we know them. This movie stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, David Batista, Karen Gillan, Palm Clementif, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Will Powter, Sean Gunn, and Chukwudi Iwiji. And it is directed by James Gunn. So, Dale, tell us your feelings about this movie. Um, I'm going to say I'm massively impressed with James Gunn. Um, of course... As everybody's aware, at the end of um, Infinity War, he kind of got written into a corner by the Russo brothers with Gamora's death. And especially with their relationship being an integral part in the team dynamic of things. Um, so I am very impressed at his ability to write himself out of a corner that he did not create. Somebody else created for him. It's like, it's like you know, somebody says, oh, I want you to make this for me and they hang you parts and pieces and or in my case video footage that I know nothing about and I have to somehow, you know, make make magic out of it. It it, it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of creative thought. So I'm I'm massively impressed um in that endeavor. And beyond that, um this movie does such a wonderful um not just deconstruction but um journey in dealing with loss that we didn't see like only glimpse we got of it really a bit was you know um spider-man um no no way home was was it no way home yeah no way home where a bit you see with peter dealing with the loss of aunt may and you know him dealing with the loss of iron man um but in a movie like you know thor you know or even to a degree uh falcon Winter soldier or really from the loss of multiple avengers and stuff like that like you see, oh, they say Black Widow's dead, and the thing you see from Hulk is he throws a chair into the, the water, and apparently they had a relationship, and everybody kind of glosses over that. But, um, yeah, everybody's dealing with the loss of Gomorrah, in a way, um, particularly Peter Quill and um, Nebula, when they're balancing it, they're dealing with it in their own way, you know, Gomorrah's dealing with being an outsider in a world she doesn't know, so she's kind of lashing out at everybody. Um, and I thought it was a really good, like, because in, in Thor, uh, with uh, Taiga, it didn't really do that. Taiga was just kind of like, I'm just going to make a movie I want and just disregard anything that happens to Thor except for bits and pieces. Um, and, and I think this, this movie was refreshing because in, in, um, Infinity War, the only aspect we got of dealing with loss, same thing with Peter Quill was the self-destruction part we didn't get the recovery he was like oh i'm drowning my sorrows which is the, the, the toxic negative it's an actual thing but it's not a, a, a depiction of dealing with loss and that mental struggle that you really wanted to pick especially when these movies say they're for kids um 
but yeah, I, I, I found, you know, Nebula, you know, being angry at everybody, very relatable. You know, Peter is still drowning in sorrows, but they're still trying to power through, and they're aware of these issues. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really good emotional journey. I'm not gonna say it's like the best, you know, generic, you know, Marvel. Um, it's the best movie since blah blah blah, because every Marvel movie is the best movie since the last one, unless you're Ant Man. But um, but yeah, James Gunn really blew it out the park with his um writing on this one. Yeah, I really liked this movie. Um, I wasn't like utterly surprised that it was gonna be good because um he usually makes good movies and the Guardians movies have been pretty consistent. I think because of what's been going on with Marvel lately, people were like, oh, well, if this doesn't work, then the whole thing is going to go down the drain. But, like, I kind of knew that this was going to work just because, like, of... I think James Gunn is really knows the characters. So, like, whenever they're presented, it always feels like their motivations and what they're doing is authentic to the characters that... who we've grown to know. Um, even though they have grown as individuals, um, it's always been pretty consistent. So I never thought that this wasn't going to work. Um, that being said, I think it did subvert my expectations in terms of like where I thought the story was going. I thought that there was a very clear line of like, we're losing Rocket this this um, this film, or we're losing someone because this is the end of, not the Guardians of the Galaxy in terms of like, the guardian team because as you see at the end there are new members of the team and it does continue to go like continue to they'll they'll still be active in the marvel cinematic universe but just the people that we've known or the team that we've grown to know that is not long that's no longer a thing anymore so i thought we're gonna we're gonna see some deaths and i was preparing myself for the deaths but there were no deaths so that was kind of like a (laughs) That was surprising to me. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're not doing that because Marvel loves to, like, kill off people. Like, when this comes to the end of the trilogy or, you know, the phase, like, people will die. But no one has died. So that was interesting. I didn't know where we were going to go there. And I just think how they focused on Rocket this um, this film was really different from what I expected. I mean, when I saw the trailers, I knew, but... I didn't see this going this way. Like, I didn't see Rocket as, like, that important of a character, to be honest. Like, but when I was watching some interviews, James Gunn was saying that Rocket was, like, his entry point into understanding the world. So, like, that character for him was very important. And so it ended up kind of flowing the way it did. Which makes sense because, like, we got Gamora's story, we got Peter's story. Um... Drax and what's Palm's character? Mantis. Mantis. They're like, they're very much supporting characters. So I guess we weren't ever going to like really dig in deep and see what they were doing. And we kind of found out some of his stuff in the first movie and some of her stuff in the second one. So I guess we didn't need to go deeper into those characters. But I guess so Rocket would be the natural next choice of like who would lead this story. But yeah, I thought that his background was really interesting because he was very like a curmudgeon kind of little raccoon but when you understand like what happened in his past how he like lost his friends and stuff 
and how he was experimented on, which they hinted at before, but like you really get to see like what actually happened. That was really interesting, extremely compelling. I got emotional a little bit when I was watching it, which I also wasn't expecting. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a really well thought out, well done, like well executed movie. Um, I heard some critiques about like the CGI and stuff. Here's the thing. Unless the CGI looks terrible, I'm not going to know if it's bad or not. So it looked good to me. I don't know. And if it's like bad in some sections and good in others, I'm just going to think it's good. I'm not going to know the difference of what is terrible. Unless it's like awful, then I'm going to notice it. But I thought the production design, regardless of the CGI, the production design looked fantastic. Like these movies always look good. Like I think that's what they're kind of known for. The music is always going to be great and the production design is always going to be fantastic. And that definitely is true. You can tell that he took a lot of inspiration from um, 2001 A Space Odyssey and movies like that. So I saw the references. I really appreciated those. And I just, I think everything looked great. It sounded amazing. I think everyone did a really good job. Um, Chris Pratt for me is kind of hit and miss, not in terms of like his taking on the character, but just in terms of the more dramatic, serious moments. I never really get much from him. I don't think he's like a really good dramatic actor. But in terms of like the other, like more lighthearted moments, when they're like making jokes and stuff, he was great as Peter Quill. So Zoe Saldana was good too. But I don't know. I kind of feel like Zoe Saldana is like. <laughs> In this role, especially in this movie, I didn't get much from her. I've seen her do better in other movies and, and other Guardians. Like, I, I've seen her do better in the other films, better the and in the Avengers films. I think this one, she was kind of just like... Because she has to play an older version of Gamora, so I guess... I don't know. But I still enjoyed seeing her on screen. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Karen Gillan's character of... Um, I keep forgetting her name. Nebula. Nebula was probably my favorite performance in terms of like acting because she brought a lot out and you're really seeing she was kind of almost like a co-main character in a lot of sense like in a lot of ways um and I really feel like you saw the progression of her just being like really angry at Gamora from like the earlier films to now where she's kind of been through some stuff so she has a lot more I don't know she seems a lot more leveled even though she still is angry i do think that she's a lot more like sensible and was positioned really to be the leader of their community i feel like she did a great job in kind of bringing out all of those notes um her scenes with the kids were my favorite like when she's just like yelling at the children that is hilarious to me and i i loved her in this movie i think she really kind of she was a standout performance for me yeah, I, I, I like, I feel like this movie, everybody got even growth, um, mm-hmm. in a way, um, of course, people are going to complain about it. it's not growth of Peter's complaining about the loss of tomorrow, but, you know, if you think about his character, you know, kidnapped and saw his mother die and all that, so his, his, his stagnation a bit in this movie, but still going forward to save Rocket is understood, um, and, People are kind of questioning as as to why you know Nebula is angry. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I kind of I've been on a kind of thing saying people's media literacy is like piss poor because if you look at remember Endgame and Infinity War, especially Endgame, they were the last two Guardians surviving, and 
that was like five five years of them being alone. So for having to deal with everything she went through, either with her fourth Thanos and her father and Gamora and everybody lost those two people. Like they even showed in one scene in um Endgame of their on like this little video conference on they're staying together. That means in five years of just them, their bond grew to a point where that's why she's lashing out everybody. Because yeah. she just joined the team. Literally just trying to, mm. and everybody's gone, and it's just her and Rocket, you know. And it's also a thing; it, it goes back to her Rock. It parallels Rocket and um Groot's relationship in the beginning, because they said um Rocket had just found Group alone, wandering, you know, a planet. And I love the visual change that Groot goes to himself as a character, because everybody's like, "Oh, they missed the first movie version of Groot." I mean, that Groot, you can even tell when they're doing the. Vin Diesel doing the I am Groot. He's very quiet, very, you know, um, doesn't understand social cues because he's been by himself. He doesn't have the worth all being in a community. And you see Mazzy Bacress is, you know, baby Groot just dancing, having fun. And then teenage Groot, like, being awkward and being expressive. And then now he's kind of being actualized as a full adult. People are complaining, like, why does he look buff? But then he's coming from a place where he's not the same person. He's grown as well. You know, he's he's hanging around Thor and Avengers, so it's like, oh man, that looks cool, I don't want to be buff. And you see, he's more confident, he's more, you know, self-assured. There's no confusion when somebody says a command. He doesn't get nervous. Like, when they land on the planet, Nebula uh, is like, Groot, go Kaiju mode. He instantly, he, there's no confusion, he just hesitates, he just goes, I'm going big. Peter Quill's like, here, hold my guns, you know what to do. Groot's like, yeah, I got you. He's like, Bam, 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 you know, you know, you know, John Woo-esque, you know, from he's matured as well. And I do love that progression of every character has gotten a growth. Even Mantis, who kind of was introduced in the second one and a bit in the um, Avengers crossover movie, she was more known as more comedic and not understanding. But here, I think the loss of um, Gamora not being able to be the kind of moral compass in a way of the team, because... That's kind of who she was in the first two, running away from Thanos. It gave Mantis a chance to become that moral compass of the team. Um, and like you said before, Zoe's Zoe Zaldana was honestly hampered by what the Russo brothers did because she couldn't she couldn't do anything. She's just yelling the whole time. There was no she, and you know people will complain about Zoe Zaldana's acting, but at least with Gamora, you could tell when that's one of the things we talked about before, where actors know the characters and become familiar with it. She became familiar with Gamora. She knew Gamora to a T. And at this point with those re with the, the changes, she had nothing to work with. Yeah. I can see how that could be really like that could hold you back when you're used to like when you knew where the character was going and then it was over. But then I just read something like earlier today where James Gunn said he wanted to kill her off in the second movie. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what they but, did. They really know what they were doing with that character. But there's a difference though in the director who knows the characters. He knows their story arc. She's kind of going for killing off the character because it probably would have been a different payoff, different different growth for everybody. Whereas the NASA issue Marvel has, they have these just giant cinematic universe. They can say, "Oh, this director's joining our director's team up." Team up. And the director, like, you know, whether it was Ryan or whether it's um, James Gunn, because they're the only two directors who have agency over their individual worlds, other than Taika and Thor, that, hey, we're going to take your characters and do something with them. And we're going to kill off one of the core members of your team. You figure it out. You know, 
And so, so that's the thing. The fact that at least if he killed uh, Gamora, died in the second movie, he would know the direction he would want to take it. And this, in this point, the decision is totally taken out of his hands. So the the character arcs and direction and the emotional growth that they would probably go on is totally different. So. Yeah, and I didn't even know that he didn't have anything to do with the team up movies. I thought that everyone who did who directed their own solo little trilogy or sequels would have input. But I guess he wasn't involved at all. So there's that. But um, okay, let's talk about the high evolutionary. Mm -hmm. And so like the big bad for this movie, I, I thought the actor was fantastic. He, I think he does theater and stuff. So like he gave it everything, regardless of like what was written for him. He really like he put his all in that before bit, so he did a great job but in terms of like the actual actor from what i understand there's a lot more that goes on in the comics so like if you wanted to really understand that character's backstory you would have to look in the comics to fully get it because right because what he is now it kind of to me it felt a little tedious like it kind of just felt like all right let's just destroy this person so we can get on to the next scene um i wasn't gripped like there there have been some good marvel villains but i don't think that this necessarily was one i feel like it was just i think the character is very sadistic but i don't think that it was as compelling as you know like a killmonger or something like that like it just did it wasn't giving anything other than like mustache twirling villain to me Yeah, it's um, yeah, he's like, of course, it's kind of weird, you know. Is he's playing kind of like the high evolutionary, which is kind of, it's kind of weird because in like the comments, I think he started out as a regular human, um, yeah, in like like the 30s, I think, like way back when, um, is I think his character bio says, but um, and then he kind of becomes interested in like genetics and evolution, so that I think at one point in one comic. I think he was involved in like the like the mutants, like how they got the power. I think at one point it was like he was the reason why Wolverine is why Wolverine is the way he is and stuff like that. So he's kind of very malleable in a way. If you have like a monster or a big bad in a cinematic sense, he's kind of somebody you could throw into it. Um, I do like his his um how should I say it? his interpretation in this project. I like the way sometimes Marvel does their cinematic universe dubs down like the absurdity of a lot of their comic book characters because it's decades of war. And but I like how they dumb it down. I like how they focus more so on his um his ego. Um that seems like a big thing with dealing with characters set in the um Guardians world. Like their villains are really not really they're they're more ego driven than maniacal in a way. I guess you know ego and maniacal go hand in hand. But his main gripe with Rocket was basically this little thing I created is smarter than me. Like that little his whole thing. Like even with um Aisha and Adam Warlock, he created their whole race, and they're the ones with superpowers and stuff like that. He just has intelligence, and he literally to show that he has some dominance over her, he steps on a stool like that thing like my creations are 
exceeding my capacity for anything you know and i and his whole that's literally his whole grab of rocket like i created you and you figured out this this equation that i myself couldn't figure out so i did i did love that i do like um i think wow man i i, I don't want to mispronounce these names but i think the actor who portrayed him mm-hmm. i think he has like oh he's he is british um mm-hmm. and like we like we say before, these British actors have because they're like theater, all that they have such amazing range. Um, and he's just just another notch in James Penn James Gunn's Rolodex of hiring an actor he worked on a previous project with because he was in on um, same actor was in on um, Peacemaker, on um HBO yeah. Max. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I will say that I liked the idea of trying to create a perfect society and then the same problems plaguing that society as it does every single you know other one just because of leadership really i guess um and i thought that that was actually a really good scene all the stuff that happens on counter earth i loved that stuff like the how time's kind of frozen in like the 80s or something like that and like the suburbia of it all and then them driving through the town and seeing that like people are like <laughs> doing drug deals and all this other stuff i was like that's i think that that was like a nice way to kind of subtly put in like the issues that maybe we're going through in real life right now um without it being so like overtly like we're trying to send a message or we're trying to like directly attack these social issues in our movie it felt like a nice way to kind of integrate all of that stuff into the movie and it still be consistent with what what the story is actually trying to say so i loved all the stuff on counter earth i thought that was really well done also just like the makeup and the prosthetics and all stuff that that was that was done on you know just the characters who were living in that society i thought that was really well done as well um but yeah i I think that they're, I think that the Guardians are at their best when they're focusing on what's going on within their team. And I will say that, like, one of the things I like about the MCU is that you can see the effects of these big events on the characters within their own stories. Like, you know the reasons why they are having difficulty kind of grieving and trying to move on. Um, and I really like that there's a continuation there where you're not like picking up a story from nowhere. Like you can actually see like what these traumatic events have has done to every single member of this team. And I liked that. And I like the overall message of the story of, you know, needing community because that's a huge thing that I think we don't focus on that much just in life. Um, the importance of having other people. Um, and I think that this movie does a really great job of showing why that is so important. And also, I think what Rocket says at the end where he was just like, you weren't trying to make things new. You just hated things the way that they were. Um, and I thought that that was in- an interesting message. It could be interpreted a couple different ways, but the way I interpreted interpreted as was that like you can't try like stop trying to change people and try to make them into something that they're not like you have to accept people where they are um and then who knows like they'll grow into their own people like you can't 
I think it's the high evolutionary with Rocket was very much like master in like subject or servant, but like that can be applied to like parents or anyone else who like try to mold the people that they've made birthed into a certain type of person and can't do that. You just need to like let people have their own agency, um, which is what you can kind of see. They kind of paralleled that with um, Aisha and Adam Warlock where like, the mom is trying to like cradle her son and like you know baby him and stuff. He was like, "No, mom, I got this." But I think that's the point of his character is that like he's like a man, but like just kind of a newborn baby. Like he doesn't really understand anything. And as time goes on, he learns. He sacrifices things for other people. Like I liked, I liked what they were trying to say of like just let people grow into who they're gonna be. Don't try to suffocate them and and make them into who you who you want them to be. So that's how I that's how I took it. Yeah, no, I I I, I thought the same thing between Adam and all Aisha. You know, she's like, "Hey, you you took him out the cocoon too soon. Like he's not ready. He doesn't have the knowledge or experience to be out in the world his own." Like I think James Gunn said, he's like the body of like a thirty year old man, but the mind of like a twelve year old child. And yeah. some people, and I'm not sure if he said. It, I think it was attributed. I'm not sure if he said it. But I think some people kind of took disregard, especially comic book fans, knowing who Adam Warlock is or was, how integral he was into the original um, Infinity War series, and kind of like were like, oh, why is he being portrayed this way? But like I said, sometimes Marvel, I will say the cinematic universe of Marvel does a good job of trimming some stuff that makes sense and some, some stuff that, that don't work. Um... I do love like I laughed at, at the um at their interactions because like the funny enough the royal the coronation of Prince Prince Charles is going on and the whole time Adam was like mummy I want to like I was like oh that's 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 Charles and Elizabeth from like the Crown mummy I want to do it I want to do and she's like no <laughs> get your shit together and I, I was just laughing at that the whole time but um. But yeah, and it's also considering Elizabeth De- De- Becky played Diana in the last season of The Crown, so so oh, yeah. that's a, that's another thing. But um, but yeah, I, I in your I think it in my head like this this movie hit the the issue of like we saw it a bit with uh Gamora and Nebula their issues because Thanos bad father. Um, you see it further, you know, Drax dealing with those children, and then she comes full head where, you know, Nebula's like, you're not a destroyer, you're a father, kind of thing, mm. how he deals with those kids, how he's like, you know, my daughter, you know, when she was little, she'd like to, you know, make these um, noises and stuff like that, um, and then you see, of course, see the beyond, not the beyond, the high evolutionary end, Rocket's relationship, whereas a lot of parent-child dynamics, even to a step further, uh, Peter Quill not wanting to meet his grandfather, even though he's probably alive, mm. and grandfather not wanting to see his daughter die, and his grandson seeing his daughter die pushed him away, and he's internalized that as a negative thing. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's dealing with all those, and we've said, we've spoke about it plethora of times, like this, you have this era, like, of, of creatives and authors and whatever, dealing with, you know, processing their childhood trauma. I prefer this, it's not to the extreme of Ari Aster, and, you know, and <laughs> and Bo was afraid. It's not yeah. that extreme, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's still it's still a welcome thing, you know. Yeah, 
That is true. And I like that. I think they put this was another message that they put in it of not running away from your issues. Yeah. Like when she says, you know, just learn how to swim. I thought that was really good. I like what this movie was saying. Like, just honestly, keep swimming. yeah, it, <laughs> I just feel like, you know, I think the the vibe of Marvel films has been so like <laughs> dismissed. Like everyone kind of is just like, ah, it's boring. We don't like it. It doesn't look good, blah, blah, blah. But I will say like this movie was good. Like regardless of like how if it obviously it's not like the best Marvel movie. It's not the best movie you'll ever see. But for what it is, it is very good. Like I <laughs> I will stand by this film. Like, I'm not going to stand by Ant-Man or the other ones. Like, they were whatever. Black Panther 2 was fine. But, like, this was a good movie. Like, it was. Like, I'm not going to shade it. It was good. I I think the issue is, and you you brought up Black Panther as well. Um, Of course, you know, that movie had to do egregious rewrites due to um, Chad Boseman's loss. And this movie was delayed because uh he was doing suicide squad um and then peacemaker so they mm-hmm. had to wait for this Duel's last two movies post infinity war or endgame were not rushed this clear in the quality i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna i might include spider-man no way home because I, they knew the direction they were going to take him with his mm-hmm. arc so they had probably the finer details figured out already um and, and that's the issue. I think with Marvel, like Disney's pipeline, like, oh, we're going to announce this movie, this movie, this movie, and you're beholden to that timeline, they're not really given brevity to create an actual cohesive, engaging story. And that's the difference I've seen in this movie and in um, Black Panther. Whereas with Ant-Man, with Thor, everybody's like, yo, this movie's shit, you know? Because mm. once again, that production cycle, you gotta pump these movies out, and so the CGI also looks shit. Whereas James Gunn's like, look, I can take my time, or even um, Ryan can say, look, I'm gonna take my time, I'm gonna write this out. And so that also gives your graphics artists, your CGI, your all the VFX people time to actually slow down and make good quality work. Because, um, like you said, there, there might be some CGI issues, but they're not as noticeable and egregious as the last other films were. And and that's the thing. I think Marvel, Disney and Marvel need to tone it down and dial it back their production cycle and give these movies time to breathe. And and you'll, and you'll see that people will enjoy them. Because even me, I might complain about superhero fatigue from time. But I enjoyed this movie, and I enjoyed, you know, uh, Wakanda Forever. I was not going to watch Ant-Man. Because I knew that was going to be a close look beyond Jonathan Majors, which retroactively I I don't want to deal with. But um, but yeah. So give like take give movies their their time. Don't rush it. Yeah. So that's important. Yeah, that's important. It's just because I remember watching something some a Marvel like mar- retrospective video where in the early days, like you only got like one or two Marvel movies a year. Yeah. So you know, what's happened now when you're pumping out, like, three or four plus all the Disney Plus shows, it's just, like, so much that you can't possibly dedicate the amount of care to every single project. Like, there's no way 
that that's going to be possible, even with the resources that Disney has. It's just not everything's going to get the the their the right amount of time to really like gestate and like be good <laughs> because you're stretching yourself too thin with all of these projects. So I like that they took their time with this. I like that they still they let James Gunn execute the vision that he wanted for the characters that he started with. Yeah. Um it's interesting he was talking about like because I guess Chris well not I guess Chris Pratt dress drops an F bomb in the movie, right? Yeah. And he was like, Yeah, I went to Kevin Boggy and like it was fine. Like no one <laughs> everyone was like, Yeah, just like just let it happen. Like if that's what you want to do, do it. So I think that there's also like a level of respect that they have given him in order for him to like do what he wanted to do with these movies. And this is like the Guardians are like a really weird, like ragtag group of people. Like, you know, I don't think on paper you would have known that it would have worked as well as it has, you know, 10 or so years ago. Um, I think you need someone who is going to like invigorate some some weird and wacky ideas for this and like let and like actually see it through so i and i think that's also a thing where like you have the same director working on like all of the movies i think that that helps a lot too sometimes it doesn't work like with thor it was like "Mm." but like i think because his work has been good in this cinematic universe as well as the work yet that he's been doing for dc i think that it was like a safe bet that this movie was going to do all right. And it, and it did. It worked. So Yeah, and it, it's also another thing where the Guardians movie was Marvel's first experiment with, you know, zany right. and cookie and comedy-esque things. And it's it's noticeable when they try to do it in all the other properties. And I think that's also another aspect of timing. Like, I know a lot of people were um disconcerted about um She-Hulk. But she mm-hmm. hoped as a comic book character when she first came out, she was like literally really fourth ball breaking. Like she would like talk to the readers and then she would like, like there was one panel where she's just jumping rope naked, naked and she's complaining about it, like to the readers, like stuff like that. Um, and so because people have experienced cinematically that Marvel is this way and this way only, um, they complain like, oh, this this doesn't fit the realm. Because that pipeline, you've had so many serious, 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 serious stuff. Like, oh, She-Hulk, comedy. After you've had, you know, most of us are madness. You've had you've had um WandaVision, which really serious properties. They you sneak a, a com- comedy thing in there at like the twelfth hour. You know, people mm-hmm. it, it throws people off. I think to avoid that going forward, I think Marvel needs to diversify more in their styles like things some things can still be lighthearted to in that world and some things could be still more serious you can't just do like five or four serious movies and throw a, a comedic take on something and expect people to you know vibe with it because it's jarring it's like when you're in a club or at a party and the dj fucks up the transitions and it takes and it takes the groove out of the out of the environment you just like that one switch like oh crap I'll, I'm, I'm just gonna sit like it's it's that kind of thing so yeah yeah overall i really like this movie and i think where it's gonna go is gonna be interesting i think the next time we'll see star lord 
will be in like uh, the Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. Like it'll be in one of the team up movies as well as the rest of the Guardians. I think we'll see them again in one of the team up movies. Um, apparently they're not doing fourth movie. So like what Thor got, which is his fourth movie, they're not doing that for the rest of the other groups or any other single person. It's just like you can do three, but then that's it. Yeah. So um, we won't see them in the capacity that we know them as currently but we will see them again which is cool and um i hope that i hope that marvel continues to take risks and do interesting things and hire interesting directors who will kind of do something new with the properties that they already have i feel like that's how this universe continues to survive so yeah, but yeah, you you can, I I am for all for experimentation and taking risks, but I think we also have to do do their due diligence on the directors that they get. Of course, Thor, Tiger Watiti. Like, if you're used to Tiger Watiti, amazing. If you throw them into a, a universe where you're used to something like Marvel fans are, like oh we love you know Ragnarok. All right, cool. You guys love that taste of how I do stuff. And then he goes full hundred. And everybody's like, what the fuck is this? You kind of also got to be cautionary with how far you take it. And I, and, I, and I think the issue why Thor did so bad, because I don't think Taiga has that mental self-check that a lot of some creators do, like to, you know, not to go full 100 into their preferable or preferred things when they're leaning into a space that they don't have full creative control of to a degree. But, yeah. And also just make what you're doing look good yeah that was for me that was the biggest issue i think that's the issue that a lot of people had was like everything looked terrible yeah (laughs) and it didn't need to so you can go full taika but can you can you like one give your visual effects artists and stuff time to actually get this stuff done and then make sure it looks correct before you like put it out in theaters like there are other considerations other than just doing the script or even directing the movie like you have other responsibilities when you're taking on these big properties you know what i'm saying so it's like come on that should be the the least that the requirements like that's the bar that's like the bar is in hell i guess i don't know like (laughs) if you're gonna do a movie make sure that like the cgi looks good like and i do want to say one thing people when you brought up the f-bomb by um uh chris past all over the movie mm-hmm. i think why it was jarring is because for people he you don't really hear stuff like that in marvel movies but it works in this movie because of the amount of shit like everybody knows that one person that doesn't curse and so when they actually curse you know shit is like really bad and i feel like that's what was it was for star lord in that moment where he's like fuck open the door like he's just like i'm at my limit i'm gonna start cursing so it works and it's it's a better delivery situationally than you know people had issues with um uh ant-man quantumania where mm-hmm. he's going back and forth with um with modok and he's like how do i not be bad like it's just like don't be a dick it's also the delivery of the way they're those characters are are saying yes you cannot make a giant floating head look realistic or like serious in a way but also the delivery of how whiny and how how he came off 
made that whole scene. It makes sense for a teenager to tell somebody to stop being a dick. It works perfectly. But their their whole delivery and the back and forth in it was really cringy. So that that's all I'm gonna say on that. So yeah. yeah. Um and I'm actually here for them just the thing is that these movies are geared towards children, so I understand why they aren't doing kind of like I don't know full Deadpool, but I I would actually prefer them to do that version. Like the censorship is weird to me. Like you can't even like really show blood and stuff. And I'm just like, eh. I don't know. Maybe because of the way I was brought up, I was watching these crazy movies when I was like <laughs> seven, eight, or nine years old. So like to me, that makes sense that you would have f bombs dropping and blah blah. Like, well, but but it's also Disney I, doing that like, kind of movie, so that's why. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it probably won't really happen again until I think they're actually they might be doing it with Deadpool because Deadpool's in the MCU now. And I don't know if they're gonna change up how they're how they've been operating. So actually, I don't know, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, moving on from, of course, well, it's still guarding adjacent moves. Moves. Um, the movie has so far made um two hundred and eighty, two hundred like ninety billion, um, globally right now. Um, million. Million. Sorry. Yeah, it's not billion. <laughs> million. Um, globally. Um, also this starts dethroned, of course, Super Mario Brothers the number one movie in the world currently. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's like, it's done well across the board as far as, you know, you know, we talk about, of course, CineScore, we talk about, uh, Ron Tomatoes, we talk about all those different, uh, aggregators for movie ratings. Um, it's done well, um, it's outpaced. Like, they're talking about the last six of four, which include Eternals and Ant-Man, who also we just talked about, um, that have done well. Uh, but I guess the industry, the way they're leaning, is due to the the massive duds. Other than, of course, we mentioned Spider-Man here. We've mentioned um, Black Panther, Walk on to Forever. The last... Mm-hmm. The last I think four of the other movies have not been well received and so they kind of want to see if how much more that'll go towards fixing those issues and starting off phase four as far as you know um, I think the only weird outlier in phase four would have been um, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness whereas it did Mm. good critically did good um ish with the fans because you hear Sam Raimi you're expecting full horror kind of hit those notes and I think the only bad thing I've heard so far with that movie was how the ending ended perfect with Doctor Strange opening his eye and the third eye comes out and then next second next next after credit scene oh he's perfectly fine so that was the only stumbling block as far as that movie but yeah so hope we'll see how this goes because we have the Marvels coming out next um and you know how Normally, the male comic book fans of Marvel movies, we don't want women in it unless they look sexy. But you have three, well, two women and a teenager expressing their own agency and fighting on their own. So we'll see how that goes. But hopefully, we're, see- we're-, we're seeing an upward trend on Disney fixing the damage it did in the early misstarts of their phase four of the cinematic universe. So. Okay, so on to the big news this week. Um, the Writers Guild has 
been on strike. It's been on strike since uh, last Tuesday, so it's been a full week. Um, there were negotiations that were going on for a while, and it fell through. So um, basically, all the writers are asking for is for like <laughs> living wages. Like that's what they're because because of streaming, I think the the load of work that the writers have been required to do has doubled streaming and the COVID and COVID. So all those two things combined has really put them in a difficult spot. And um it just hasn't worked out. Like it I think that the main issue is that these big corporations like Netflix, Disney, you know, um Fox, Apple, all these different sectors. Um, have enough money to pay their writers at like well <laughs> adequately, and um, they have not been doing so. So the writers have gone on strike. The last strike happened in two thousand and seven, mm-hmm. um, and it lasted for fourteen weeks, and it had a huge impact on the industry. So basically, when they went on strike last week, the first kind of effects of that were late night shows who write the day of because you know their coverage has to be current. So. All of the late night shows went dark. Saturday Night Live went dark. And now what we're seeing currently is that shows that were kind of in production, either they were about to start shooting or they were still in the writer's room, those have been shut down. So Blade was about to start shooting in Atlanta, I mean, like in a week or so, and that's been shut down. Um, The Game of Thrones prequel has been shut down. Stranger Things has been shut down. And currently, like just now, Severance, which was working, I think they were starting production. I think they had already started production. But again, these are episodic TV shows. So like (laughs) the writing hasn't been finished on all of them. Um, That has just been shut down. So there are a lot of shows that have been impacted already. Um, I think Netflix said that they had programming that would last for like the rest of the year. But if this continues that then a lot of the shows that were supposed to be starting production will be halted until the demands are met. Um, But the writers are really um, united on this and they've been out picketing outside of these corporations. And um, I think currently producers and people who are like showrunners who have like overall deals with some of these streamers they might stop being paid because i think the i think the major streamers are trying to like divide up well if you're a producer then you're not writing so you can still do your producing duties and these producers are like no like writing is still a part of our duty so you can't kind of parse this out so those deals might be suspended so we don't know what will happen in terms of like how far this will go how long this will last but i am just grateful that like all the writers are like supporting each other and people in the industry overall are supporting the writers as well because you don't have shows without scripts and i feel like they are underestimating it plus there's talk of like ai so i guess they think the ai will pick up those duties but like I don't even know what that is to really get into it. I can't really dig into like what that's about. But what I do know is that like writers are so essential in terms of the process of actually making movies and television. So we're going to see the effects of it. And I hope that these big corporations just come to their senses and just pay these people what they deserve. Like it really isn't that difficult. <laughs> like you have the money, like you can do it. 
Um, so put your little pride aside and actually just give these people what they need so they can continue to do the work. Um, because what I've learned from being on sets is that they people really care about this stuff. Like telling stories is important to the folks who are working on these productions. So the fact that they can't do their jobs is hard for them as well. But they still need to live. Like they still need to be able to pay their rent. You know, they still need to be able to like pay their car note so they can drive out to these locations every single day. Like you have to give these people what they need so they can do the job that they love. I feel like it's fair. It's where they're not asking for much. Like this should be easy to do. So if things don't work out, it's really on these networks for not stepping up because like what they're asking for is so basic. Like I don't understand. Yeah, this is this is this is one reason why humanities classes are so important in college. You know, if you're a business, you're doing your little business class, or whatever you're doing your uh your you know engineering or whatever course, your mathematics course, all those other like humanities classes are so important. Um, I remember in college when I was at Oakwood, like my friends would kind of find it weird. Like I had a weird circle of like people who were doing like bio, and then other people who were doing like like the the arts programs and stuff like that. And a lot of the other people who were doing book work would get mad at us when we was like, "Hey, we're going to the library to study your finals. You want to come?" And we go, "Yeah." And so you got like five like creatives and like five like future doctors and engineers like in the library mm-hmm. and all the creatives are there doodling doodling and pissing everybody else off mm-hmm. and then it's not until like they would come into the editing room and see me like be there all night they go oh you guys actually do work like yeah my work isn't like book work my work is like i have to like <laughs> like i have to like come up it's not a tangible thing well the tangibleness doesn't come till down the road um my like before all this was going on, like, I think, of course, you know, everybody knows I'm a Miami person. Um, Dan Levitard show, um, is a Miami, he's a Miami-based reporter, but he go, kind of goes beyond to the global scope. He had Mike Shore on, and they were talking about this stuff before. And Mike Shore had brought up, and he's, of course, you know Mike Shore, Parks and Rec, Good Place, uh, um, writer, producer, director. Um, and he's also involved in the Writers Guild. But he's upper, upper, higher, and he was talking about the last. And you mentioned two thousand seven, like I'm not sure seven. Like there were a lot of shit shows. Like the last season, the heroes became trash because of the writer strike. Like I don't remember if you remember, there was a big thing with Geico commercials, like the caveman. Like some, <laughs> some executive thought, oh, because you know these ads with these cavemen, they're so wonderful. Everybody loves them. Turn into a show. They turned that an ad. They took an ad and tried to turn it into a whole show, and that shit was trash. Like I remember, mm-hmm. I remember the. the I remember sh- that too. Yeah, yeah. I remember the strike. On repeat. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the strike. It, it was bad. Yeah. Um, but he was saying like when during those negotiations, he was like, you know, stream internet's a thing, and we know you guys are eventually going to use that as like a launch pad and transition eventually. And he was like, the guy, the, the executive was like, no, we're not going to blah, 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 you know? And they're like pushing like, no, we want these provisions added because we know that it's the next, like as creatives, we know this is the next step for entertainment. Like you're gonna want to get into this market and they did it. And so now you see the residual, residual effects. Dan Levitard had another arm um, person on the show, um, the, head, the head writer for um the bear, Alex O'Keefe. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how when they um when he won his award the man was broke you know when they paid him he said they paid him about um 
forty, I think forty thousand. I might get it wrong. For and how writers work is like you do thirteen week contracts, and you gotta hope and pray. Like, and not just writers. I think animators are the same way, but their their union is controlled differently because the biggest one is Disney. Um, but they're like, yeah, I got this money, and then I was like, oh man, I'm making about eighty thousand dollars. Oh, I'm, I'm making it. I'm happy. And his angel like, nah. These fees gotta come out of it. And it's not even just union dues. It was more so you gotta pay tax in California, you gotta pay tax in New York, you gotta pay all these other taxes, you gotta pay fees to this, fees to this, fees to that. And he's like, oh, dude, I only got like $30,000. What the fuck? So, and I think the issue with the public understanding of the strike is also due to the political landscape a bit. Um, people have contemplated Hollywood liberal rich. So if you hear anybody saying they do work in the entertainment industry, like even when I say people, yeah, I do video editing or whatever, whatever, they go, oh, you have money. I'm like, no, your man's is broke. <laughs> your man's is broke. I don't, I don't make big money. But people go entertainment industry, Hollywood, liberal, rich. And that thought circle like there's one person online who is like oh these writers and she talked about how she's a general hospital fan she wants general hospital back blah 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 and she was like um these writers in their six cigarette deals making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and i was like you assume that because you've made the mental connection hollywood rich hollywood liberal they're rich and they're being greedy and I was like, uh, average person in the industry, even if you're a writer, does not make it six figures. There are, mo- there are doctors in this world who do not make six figures. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's... Hopefully everything everything comes out ahead. Um, It's good to see. I know the last strike, there were issues between all the other unions as well. Like, this time, it seems to be like there is solidarity across a lot of the unions. Right. Like, you see, you've seen actors come out. You've seen, like, you know, last Lassie had a strike. I love if you don't know Lassie. It's kind of for, it's the editor's union. Editors had their strike recently, and they came to agreement, but editors are also still supporting this strike. Um, I think I saw news of a, a movie shoot being stopped because it's just it was just three writers on the shoot started protesting. Grips said, "Yeah, we're not gonna work." You know, all your all your below the below the line makeup, all those other unions like, "Yeah, we're not gonna work," and they had to freeze freeze the shoot for the day. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's good to see this kind of solidarity because, you know, we're not like literally the people, even actors have complained. Like we've talked about, um, Sydney Sweetie with um mm-hmm. uh euphoria how she's like yeah i'm on a hit show but i got my mom and dad and i got like all these fees and i'm living in california i don't make a lot you know you might see me on a hit show but i'm not or some actresses said yeah i'm on a hit show but i'm only on a hit show for like three episodes i'm not mm-hmm. making money it's a issue issue industry ride and it's the same issue that's, that's, that's happening in every working class space in this country where the CEOs at the top have been reaping the awards rewards at an astronomical level, but everybody else at the bottom of the rung has not been making the same. So. So true. So true. Because honestly, to make real money in that industry, you have to be like an executive producer producing it. Like you can't just be an actor and kind of reap in all those, in the, all those benefits unless you're doing like one of those big top tentpole films. Um, and, and, and even in that, you have to be like the lead in that in order to like get all the money from that. So it is really um, shining a light. I think this is a really good um, opportunity to shine a light on the fact that, you know, 
these executives and stuff are getting the bulk of the funds and the people who are actually creating the world, actually making the movies happen, are not getting paid sufficiently. So I hope that this strike really illuminates to people, like not only in the in in this industry, but in industries all over this country, that people need to be paid properly. Like things, inflation is going up. Like interest rates are going up. Like this economy is not great. So like you actually do need a little bit more money just to survive. Like not even to be rich, like just to be comfortable and like have, you know, your, your bills paid. Like that's the, that's just the state of the world. Like that's just where we're at right now. So, um, yeah, I hope that that works out. I hope that these companies come to their senses because, like, they think that they're okay right now. But if this continues, like, they're gonna feel it if they haven't already felt it. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's it is disheartening when you hear guys like we've we've spoken about the BS and bullshit that Warner Brothers Discovery has been going through, where it, where the um the CEO is like hedging his best. Oh, they'll come back. And in my head, I'm like, bro, you don't care because you have CNN. You're good with that. And also, because of the merger, because, you know, Discovery's used to operating a sushi budget, you've taken over D- of Warner Brothers and cut everything. So you don't care because you've already wiping out your, your own library to save money. So you, you don't mind continuing to do that as long as you got, like, oh, because the functions of reality TV. Okay, let me explain. Reality TV does have writers. To a degree, but he's thinking <laughs> he's thinking like, oh, because Discovery Channel is mostly reality TV. I don't really got to do it, writers. I can eat the brunt of it. No, you're you do. So it's kind of that that corporate ignorance of of mm. what you have um happening. So yeah, I hope I I whatever happens happens. Um, and like you said, you mentioned like Stranger Things and stuff like that. Like like being even around Atlanta. Like I went downtown. Like saturday and i saw like a shooting notice from like two two weeks ago for a movie that was supposed to start shooting nobody's there like <laughs> nothing there like i live near where they shoot all the high school scenes for like stranger things like i remember like two weeks ago production trucks started moving in and like usually around my area is always really busy because of stranger things like shooting in the area nothing like after like the strike started no trucks have been moving in my area like the production notices of signs of movies being shot have like disappeared and stuff like that. So yeah, it's eh, I I'm all for it. unions get your due, you know, because hopefully, because I too myself want to be at a level where I can at least you know be pre editors union like one day I get there and I I'm all, I want those benefits as well. So I'm all for everybody you know wanting and needing like like equal living, you know, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and other news. Um, some big trailers have dropped. Dune Part Two has dropped, and Oppenheimer, like the full trailer, has dropped. Uh, Oppenheimer is coming out in July. Dune will come out in November. Um, Oppenheimer it seems really good. Like I cannot wait for this movie, and I don't know if I was excited before really because it's about like the creator of the atom bomb so i was like okay but like it looks fantastic like i don't and it's like mostly set in the desert so but it looks really good 
Um, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen with that. Um, I love that Chris Nolan's movies always feel like events. Like, I really enjoy that aspect of his type of filmmaking where, like, you don't know what is going to happen. And you know it's going to be, like, a visual spectacle. So, like, I'm I'm excited for that. And Doom Part 2 looks good as well. Um, Zendaya is playing a much bigger role in this, which is... I, I guess people were disappointed that she wasn't as big of a role in the first one, but that's kind of just how the story progresses if you read the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'll be a much bigger part of this, which will be cool. Um, it looks good. All the new characters look really interesting. Florence looks so good. I am so excited for that movie just because of Florence. Like the character that she plays, like narrates the book if you read the books, but like she does play a bigger part. Not in I don't know if she'll play as big of a part in this movie, but in the next movie that they do, she'll have a huge part in that. So I don't know if how much she's going to be in this one, but just from the images, like she looks fantastic. Austin Butler looks great. I'm really excited just to see their characters because they really fill out like the politicky part of the story that you that you didn't really get to see in the first one. So um, I'm really excited for that. And um, the story gets weird. It doesn't get as weird this time. But as you continue to, as hopefully they'll make more more of these movies. The more movies that come out, the weirder it's gonna get. Yeah. And I hope that they really lead into like the weird strangeness of this world because it is it's it's not even like on the Game of Thrones level because Game of Thrones was kind of more grounded in reality for the most part until like the end. This is like on another like weird level of like what the hell like and I can't wait for that to happen. So I hope that and I think Denis will do that because he is a huge fan of the books. So I think that he'll really lean into like the weirdness of this world and not hopefully package it just because it's like a big Hollywood movie. I hope that that isn't like a huge consideration. I hope that they get weird with it. Um but it does very much feel like a continuation. It doesn't feel like a new movie or a new story. Like it feels like literally like a part two. Like we didn't get the footage to the theaters yet. Like this is just the remainder of the footage. Like that's kind of how it feels. So I'm also excited for this. Not as excited as I thought I was going to be, but I am excited because. I just want to see Florence. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like Florence, like whatever has happening with her recently, I'm just really intrigued. Like, I think she's amazing. And she's also an Oppenheimer. So like, my girl is booked and busy. Like she's getting it. So yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, 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 I can't, I will, I'm kind of apprehensive about Oppenheimer because I know it's based on a book that came out in like 2005, which is autobiography autobiographical mm. not autobiographical um I'm, I'm i want to know how stringent it is because if you if you've ever read about um oppenheimer his work in manhattan project after a while you know seeing it in function he became really like disillusioned and distraught over what he had created um right so i, I hopefully the movie also covers not just the creation but his struggle as a person post creating this thing like um i have become death story of the world it's like it's it's a it's not he didn't 
make that quote, but the quote is attributed to him. Um, but I like I want to see that process post. This is my creation. This is my 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 monster, and I'm Frankenstein. You know that whole reckoning. Hopefully, they cover it as well. Usually, these movies don't really deal with the mental anguish of people who create bad things <laughs> coming to their to their mm. senses. Um, so I'm looking forward to that if they do do that. Um, Dune too. Like shit looks amazing. Um, like you said, they're gonna get. I'm interested in them getting to the weird shit. Um, mm-hmm. people think this is like this off it is authorian style tale but it does get turned on its head a bit because it does the mm-hmm. expectation people i think have of the sequence coming sequences coming up don't go the way <laughs> people right. expect them to right so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really interested like that probably won't happen till like part three or the end of part two um, yeah so mm-hmm. I'm I'm I can't wait to look for the what the fuck reactions <laughs> for mm-hmm. for that, mm-hmm. but yeah, which and that's one other thing I think when you're when you've like read these properties that become book become movies, I think it's always cool to see the direction directors take of it, but it's also fun to watch the general public that doesn't really that's not familiar with the project freak out when all the weird shit happens because you're like oh i remember that happened to me that's so sweet like <laughs> like so yeah like i'm i'm having fun thinking about the anticipation people are gonna have with those moments so so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but yeah, can't wait for it um yeah and this isn't on our list but did you watch the coronation of king charles look real life crown look, real life the crown yeah i don't i don't indulge in the functions and operations of my oppressors you know <laughs> you know um but no i didn't saw bits and pieces of it um so my man harry was like i'm here and i'm gone I'm not staying <laughs> right D- dipping out um like British media is like weird. Like they're complaining about mm. um one of the 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 children yawning and how he's unruly and disrespectful. Like, dude, he's like a kid. The last time you guys had a royal coronation was like fucking seventy years ago. You know, he's a child. He's gonna be bored. Like, and y'all don't remember being bored in church as kids. Like, and and this is longer than church. Church is like three hours. This this thing is like six seven hours. Man's is gonna be bored. Um. You know, there I know there were some cultural issues with um um I don't know this the song this one of the songs that was on the Lion King soundtrack. Um the artist said, Hey, I'm gonna perform this during I think it's um You Are the Kingdom or whatever or King of the Kingdom. I don't look I didn't release the Lion's contract. I'm not really interested in this this royal shit. I'm just interested in the, the socio political bullshit that people do. Um they're complaining about a Nigerian artist, you know, singing this song with really African roots, you know, in the Lion King and stuff like that, performing it at, you know, of the coordination of, you know, white power and stuff like that. So shit's funny, but you know, hey, it is what it is. So mm. so yeah. yeah. I watched it. Um just because I wanted like just because it is history, even though it, it, that, it might not be the history that we want. Um, it is a history. It's a historical moment that um, nobody has seen unless you're like 90 years old. <laughs> so um, I did watch it. 
it was slimmed down. It was only like two hours. So like basically like the length of a church service. And it literally was like church. Like that's what it felt like. Like if you didn't go to church, you could watch that and it would basically be the same thing. <laughs> um, and they did try to be as like diverse as they could. Like there was a gospel choir and blah, blah, blah. But it was interesting. I, and I was like, okay, this is, it's weird because everything, it, it, monarchy just seems so counter, counter, like, productive of, like, what the individuals are professing. Like, the individuals are like, we want to make this more inclusive. We want to be a more diverse, like, youthful type of situation. But monarchy just inherently is you are you believe that god has blessed you in order to take this role and it's like your role is literally just very ceremonial like it's not they have power but not like they used to so it's kind of just like okay well why are you here i think that's kind of the general feeling and i think what was interesting in the coverage of it is that people were talking about the actual ceremony but they were also being like you know there are protests like people there are countries who want to succeed and like not be a part of the commonwealth anymore like there are major issues that are coming up against this coronation and this king so what is your relevance into say in today's society i think that's what they're gonna have to grapple with the royal family like why are you guys still here like why do people even need to like pay money either taxes to support you like they're those are the main questions that are gonna that have been going on and have been highlighted during his entire coronation ceremony. So I'm interested to see like how that's going to play out because it is, these questions are valid. Like what are you guys still doing here? (laughs) So yeah. It's ironic that like the British people have this weird infantile obsession with the, the crown as far as like, Oh, they're monarchy, they're Royals. They have this power. They have no functional power. And that was due toward, you know, like literally, why we have parliament is because all those lords got together and say the the crown, the king, they're not doing what they're supposed to to protect the people. So you know, we're going to force them in a situation where uh, we have a I guess a constitutional monarchy where they have power in theory, but they don't really do anything. People vote officials, kind of like Congress and stuff like that. Now, so they lost their power because they weren't doing what God apparently ordained them to, to help their people. So you decide to spend almost a billion dollars on a coronation and cutting back social services. Like leading up to this, there were plenty of UK, um, public health organizations as far as, you know, help the homeless, give people food, stuff like that, food banks and the sort. We're talking about for decades, you know, we could go and say, oh, we need this money and we need this this stuff, this food for this. This is sure. But like, since like last year, knowing the, the queen's health, all those services and help stopped because they were being directed toward Charles' potential coronation. So, that's fucked up. I think there's people need to really process as to why the monarchy is honestly still a thing. And they also made the point is the money that you're pulling out of poor people in the hands that need it, the monarchy can already fund that themselves. 
they could have funded all the stuff for the coronation and it would not have been a drop in their bucket because as a as a group they have money and then individually as individuals they all have money you see how you know prince uh making marshall and prince harry are able to live were able to come to count us and all that stuff and live fine without him being a royal that's because his mother diana also had money which she left to both her sons that's a lot of money for a grown man to be able to move across the country would have no real job experience and still be fine you know his like you said his wife was an actress but like we talked before the the union strikes her first big show was shoots and i know damn well that being her first role she was not making a lot of money so mm-hmm. There we go. Like as individuals as well, they have a lot of money, and it's it's absurd. So yeah, and there's a cost of living crisis in the UK currently. Yeah. So if there's this word like we're talking about cost of living crisis and housing crisis here, the UK the over there is much yeah, worse. It's bad because they're they're used to having social nets there to ease the burden and help people, but due to all this coordination bullshit and also Brexit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And COVID played a factor in it because a lot of money had to go toward the public health services. It's had a a large effect. COVID, I'm going to give, that happened to everybody, but Brexit and the coordination really fucked a lot of people up. That's why France and like the UK are like, hey, you want to raise, you know, retirement ages? No, nah, we're going to burn shit down. That's, they always get angry because... They, as as much as we complain about the stupidity, at least those European countries have provided social safety nets for those people. And now, that's true. And because the U.S. have never had social safety nets, we can't fathom why people are complaining. Mm. So yeah, that's a good point. It's hard to get like we're really political, but no, I'm so... yeah, <laughs> we're a film podcast. That's what like, happens. But, okay. That's what happens. Yeah. Um. Anyways, let's talk about what we watch um yeah you know continuing you know of course guardian of the galaxy you know in their run of throwback nostalgia bait movies i went on my you know 30 30 year old man child move and i watched you know the, the power of the netflix thing and i also did watch um warner brothers um of course as being not child 90s i'm always gonna like be interested in these old powers that i grew up with you know exactly and so it was good as a as a kid who you see two people of course if you don't know the blue ranger billy left under um horrible circumstances of being a, a gay man and being berated on set he left uh zach and along with two other rangers left because guess what when power Rangers came out it was not a union project so these actors were really being underpaid and they realized that uh, so we won't be paid more and they fired them so and he hasn't been associated with a franchise power Rangers franchise since he left it's good to have him back um but yeah loved i loved it i know like i guess the original red ranger and pink ranger were kind of perturbed that they weren't involved in it but pink ranger showed up in two other properties and the red ranger himself showed up in two other properties i loved how they kind of put together the death of the real life yellow ranger in this movie in a way as a tribute and also retroactively tribute um jason tommy frank who was a green ranger at the end um and of course super mario bros another chris pratt box office success as much as i might not agree with his personal some political views he has a box office draw and i blame marvel for that but can't do anything about it but super mario brothers was wonderfully done my only issue was um i don't like when people insert music just to insert music um 
they're running across New York and I hear no sleep till Brooklyn. Um, I think they were heading to Queens. So I guess that works, but it doesn't. And then when they're going to see Donkey Kong, we hear Take On Me, which has no relevance with the scene or whatever. And I, I really hate that. It takes away my, my fun of a movie. And it wasn't until after I saw this movie that a person tweeted like, yeah, they did a whole soundtrack for the movie. And if you put this song at that scene, it actually, the, the way the music flows fits perfectly with their cuts. So that means American stupidity when it comes to making movies is they had a scene that worked thematically and, and cinematically with the music they had. And they removed the music and replaced it with generic nostalgia 80s music, which was stupid. And I think they did it because, hey, Super Mario Brothers, it's an 80s property. Let's throw all this 80s music in it. When, if you're a fan of Nintendo, you know Nintendo goes hard when it comes to creating music for their games, which people do enjoy. And they could have done that, but they went the other direction. But other than that, I, I, I enjoyed it, but yeah. Okay, so I watched, I rewatched Arrival because mm-hmm. after I watched the Dune trailer, I wanted to watch some more Denis Villeneuve. So I watched Arrival again and so good. Um, I forgot how good that movie actually was. Um, yeah, just amazing. I read a short story by the author who had written the original story for the movie, um, and that was also great. <laughs> so good material. Really great director, great performances all around. Um, I'm not a huge Jeremy Renner fan at all, but I think he did a great job in this. And I love Amy Adams, so she was great. But just like what the the movie was saying is so relevant to what's going on right now. And it was kind of eerie watching it. It was it's like watching Contagion like during the pandemic. Like that's how it felt. It felt very reminiscent of like, oh, this is as relevant actually more relevant now than it was when it came out, which is incredible filmmaking. If you can make something that is still holds up and is even more pressing in today's society. Um, But yeah, great film. I loved it. It was shot so beautifully. Um, And yeah, I think I'm going to do a little Denis Villeneuve film kind of marathon before I watch Dune. I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, um, I think yeah, we have sorry. problems. Like, I don't watch a lot of modern cinema. And that's not me being pretentious. That's just, you know, a thing. Because, like I said, I spoke before about me and my mom and me bonding her through classic movies. I never saw Arrival. So I think we have opposite problems. I, like, watch a lot of older movies. If you watch, you're more up to date with more current movies mm. that I am. So I probably need to watch Arrival. I have no excuse for not being up to date with a lot of my yeah. cinema preferences, but yeah. Yeah. I feel like people are like, oh, movies were so great back in the day, like, and all the stuff that's come out. And I was like, mm, no, you're wrong. <laughs> like, so many great movies, like, modern masterpieces have come out, like, since 2000. So you guys can watch it. Um, Arrival is literally free on YouTube. There, go watch it there, whenever there is there are pretentious people on both sides who say oh older movies are better than newer films and newer films shit on older ones like they're both both eras of hollywood all eras of hollywood have had hits and misses and duds so yeah yeah 
All right. Well, that's it from us this week. We hope you guys are taking care of yourselves and doing well. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.